Hey, welcome! Thanks for tuning in! This is There's Something About Arcviz, a podcast where I discuss with experts and industry leaders about the many sides of the Arcviz industry. I'm your host, Federico Biancullo. I'm an Arcviz artist, founder of The Big Picture, blogger and content creator in the field of architectural representation. I'm on a journey to learn more on all things about Arcviz, art direction, business, technology, you name it. And I would like you to be a part of this journey as well. Through these conversations, my hope is to bring light to not so obvious topics connected to our industry and help you grow as a professional, as an artist, and why not, as a human being as well. So please join me. Without further ado, let's jump into this episode of There's Something About Arcviz. everybody happy new year this is the first episode of 2021 of there's something about arcviz i'll be honest with you i don't usually like to make resolutions or wishes for the new year the year changes as a convention for me and not really a mark for the beginning of something new but you know what this time i'll make an exception you've probably heard it a thousand times by now but let's just hope this 2021 treats us just a bit better than 2020 shall we hmm? anyway for this episode, I'm joined by two guests this time, Beatrice Piola and Ruggero Pedrini from the Digital Architecture Department of Barcode Architects. Barcode Architects is a Rotterdam-based architecture and urban design firm, which has experience on a broad range of project sites and scopes. And you know what? I'm really happy to finally have here on the show visualization artists that work in-house for architecture firms. I also have an in-house visualization artist background, by the way, and while these people have usually less exposure, they form a large and a very underrepresented part of our industry. Speaking of which, if you are an architectural visualization artist working in-house for an architecture firm, I'd like to hear about you and your experience for this podcast, so feel free to shoot me an email at podcast at bigpicturevisual.com. Anyway, in our chat, Beatrice and Ruggero told me how their department has carved out space to pursue their research and development activity, how they push the result of this research to the design teams, and why it's important not to give certain workflows and technologies for granted when working in-house. We also delved into how they used AR to present in a fun and engaging way Casanova, a residential tower in Rotterdam, which is one of the main ongoing projects designed by Barcode Architects. But I think that's enough for me. So here's the conversation with Beatrice and Ruggero. Enjoy! Let's talk about you because I'm, I'm really happy to have here people that are a bit outside the radar of the Arcvis industry, but still, nonetheless, it's very interesting also to pick all these realities that work in house. I think it's very important because a big part of our industry is made by people that work in house. In your case, it's especially interesting because you don't do things in the usual way, but I'll let you explain. I just want you to introduce who you are to the audience and what you do. Yeah, uh, I can start. <laughs> so I'm Ruggero, I'm 35. I'm living uh, since 2015 in the Netherlands, in Rotterdam. So basically I'm uh, an architect and um, construction engineer also, even though I work less than five minutes as an engineer actually, but I did work a bit of a, as an architect for a few years back in Italy. Then I discovered it was not really my call. So I was getting more and more interested in, uh, in the visual and the graphical part of the design process. I was also getting more and more passionate in realizing short movies. 
So back then uh, I decided to have a fresh start and then I joined the State of Art Academy. It was uh, 2014 when it happened. I will never be grateful enough to them because they really structured my way of working. They really teach you a job more than the technical uh, aspects of uh, software and, uh, and everything connected. So after that great experience, I did one year of freelance in Italy. I was working both uh, for uh, architectural uh, images but also was working a lot in motion graphics. I had the chance to work for a cultural project and academical project. I had few collaborations with the university in Italy, but then, yeah, at some point I felt like to grow, I need to work in a more structured environment. So that's why I chose to join a company. At that moment, I didn't really mind if it was going to be a render company or, or a architectural company. Yeah, happened to be Barcode Architects in, in Rotterdam and uh, here I am. So you both guys work at Barcode Architects. For those who don't know Barcode, maybe it's good that Beatrice also introduces a bit what's Barcode Architects. It's Anyway, it's a Dutch architectural firm. I think it's a growing firm, but it's one of the leading companies in the Netherlands, probably also one of the youngest. But Beatrice, maybe you, you should also talk about yourself and about Barcode since we, we're here, you know. Yeah, I'm Beatrice, I'm 28. I'm a member together with Ruggiero of the Digital Architecture Department at Barcode Architects. And yeah, I'm a 3D artist too, but uh, as first I'm an architect. I graduated in Genoa in Italy almost uh, four years ago. But yeah, back then I didn't really know what to do. You know, like when you graduate, uh, then architecture is such a wide field, uh, let's say, of uh, opportunities that you, or you have a strong passion or you don't really exactly know what you want to do, no? But uh, yeah, let's say that uh, after one year that I was working uh, at Lab Architects uh, in uh, Genoa, we were doing a lot of uh, interior design, also custom-made furnitures. And um, somehow, since it was a small office, we really tried to push a lot also with the communication part. We were really like pushing all our energies into explaining to the client the main concept, even though it was maybe just an apartment uh, refurbishment till the very last detail of, uh, I don't know, a joint between two pieces of wood for a furniture because we were really trying to do everything. And then I started to realize uh, like how important it is to communicate uh, in a good way what you are doing uh, from really the main concept till the detail. And that for me was a kind of, um, you know, like uh, illumination, like, oh, okay, maybe this is what I want to do, to communicate ideas to, let's say, have this role uh, of finding the perfect uh, somehow way to communicate different things. And then after one year that I was working there, I started to look for something else. And this is how I got into Barcode Architect. They were, Ruggiero actually, was uh, searching for someone else to join his department. And it's been three years that we are working together. And uh, yeah, talking about Barcode, Barcode Architect is um, an emergent international office based in Rotterdam, in the Netherlands. It was founded almost 10 years ago by Dirk Peters and Karo van de Ven. And now, together with a creative team of 70 professionals, including architects, urban designers and technologists, and of course also our department, is dealing with several projects in the Netherlands but also abroad, such as urban master plans, mixed-use public buildings, residential and office towers, and also villas. So yeah, it's a very creative, uh, dynamic and also exciting environment. Something interesting that came up in our conversations before this recording is that you're not just a department that does images or animations for architecture. The most important thing, and that's why I also wanted to hear, is that 
you actually do research and development. So your department also started as a research and development area uh, inside Barcode Architects. Am I correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how how did you start with this research and uh, what area does it cover? Because when it comes to in-house firms, it usually it's very monothematic. It's usually doing just images, of course, and animations and jumping to projects often with a very tight deadlines. I'm sure you still do this very often, but you're also trying to start these side projects. How did you start and what kind of research do you cover in your department? So basically uh, everything started uh, around four years ago. So after my first year, uh, more or less uh, in, uh, in Barcode, I have to say I proposed myself to realize something uh, a bit more uh, diverse. So to create more uh, multimedia content. So it was a nice dialogue. After this dialogue, uh, I was asked to do a bit of research to show the possibilities on the, on the market inside the office. So I took, let's say, something like one week to um, put together a presentation in which I realized uh, some uh, 360 images, some infographics, uh, some motion graphics. Uh, I also realized a kind of a super clumsy video with uh, a walkthrough with the VRA. Because you have also to imagine that, uh, first of all, it was an architectural company. So in the end, you don't have also, you know, super high quality graphic cards and uh, processor. Plus also real time back then was not so popular. So yeah, I, I also try to do like a VRA frame by frame animation using four or five different computers overnight, but you know, you don't have a lot of uh, control on the final product. So I produce a series of media and then in this presentation was quite clear what was really uh, possible to achieve by us in, uh, in terms of timing and uh, resources and what was not really feasible. So it was kind of a, a list of goals that we could achieve. You said something interesting that you did frame by frame animation to show the architects what was possible to do in terms of animation, you know. This is important, I think, because usually when you move the discourse to companies, many things are taken for granted somehow. Companies that are used to do this kind of animations, this kind of work, while when you move the discourse to a, an architectural firm, you don't have all these means. You don't know how it how is it like to do an animation, uh, what it takes, what's the possible end result. So even though these things are usually done by uh, communication companies, it's kind of difficult to move this kind of products inside an architecture office. So this is research and development as well, even though for many people this is not, but it, it still is to a certain extent because architects don't always know the possibilities and the tools needed to do certain things. That was indeed the first step to uh, let them understand what were the possibilities. And then after the first steps, uh, it happens a snowball effect because for instance, back then one of the most appreciated product was a 360 image that is not something unbelievable today, but yeah, back then was quite an innovation. The first step towards an immersive experience. So analyzing that media, what we needed was more uh, probably some 3D assets, a 3D library, because before it was quite common that you, you could fill your images with Photoshop, the assets, uh, even piece of furniture. When you, when you need to fill a 360 image, then you really need 3D assets. And it's funny because that doesn't mean that it's gonna uh, affect only the 360 because then when you spend a bit of time to create a library, then also your images are more precise because then you really have uh, the proper assets with the proper measurements. Your images improve, they improve also the quality. Also you do uh, the same amount of images in less time, of course. And then automatically you create uh, more time to invest uh, for other kind of research. And then, of course, another important thing is that also when you start to create a 3D asset library, the entire office starts to benefit from it. 
And that is the moment in which it becomes really clear that what you are doing is straightforward and is beneficial for the entire office. And then everyone starts to see, you start a fire, let's say, because they, they can start to see results and then you can really boost your research with the first results. So your job becomes also the one of trying to push things to the architect to show them the benefits of doing things in a certain way. For example, what you said about furniture. I know a lot of architects that still have the misconceptions that, for example, furniture can be placed in 2D still in the images. Maybe they come to you and they ask you, maybe you can adjust this uh, interior image in 2D, you can add some 2D furniture. And it's good that you have someone that dispels those misconceptions about doing, for example, everything in post or everything everything well-organized, as you said, Ruggiero, because that's something that I also faced in my time when I was working at Meccano, that we really needed a structured library. And whilst these things are taken as a granted by companies that do this, is it not so for, for architectural firms? So it's good to have a research and development also for these areas. In general, and maybe Beatrice can help chime in on this one, how do you actually try to push the products of your research to the design team? Because architects can be tough sometimes, they can be really anchored to certain old ways of doing things. So since it's also your job to try to, to push this, what strategy did you develop? Let's say it took a bit of time because, uh, yeah, as Roger was saying, the department started four years ago, so before I joined even. And let's say that what we found that is quite working is to really have a kind of a process. We do things and researches step by step. So firstly, we really see what can be useful for the office in first place. So we, we say, okay, maybe this new technology can fit uh, the workflow, can fulfill the needs of the office. So we select a certain amount of uh, topics, let's say, to, to research so that we can have a kind of schedule that we know that for in that period, let's say we do that topic or the other topic. And then, yeah, we go really step by step, uh, starting with simple things uh, to see uh, if it can work, uh, if it convinces us. So once we are convinced about something, we really try to um, say make a final product almost uh, to present to them. Because, you know, many times uh, maybe you have a great idea, but you don't really know how to, um, to communicate it in a good way. But also because, as Ruggiero was saying, uh, we are all different backgrounds, so... Maybe you have a great idea for, I don't know, the construction part to visualize something, but of course, uh, with um, taking care of the construction part, maybe as a completely different background, it's really uh, difficult from our side sometimes to do the right thing in the right moment. So that I think is the main uh, thing that we try to do when we have something to present them. And then basically... Most of the times uh, when we achieve a result, it's really like received as a positive thing. So we are really like uh, from the office, we really receive positive feedbacks uh, and they say you can continue in this way or in that way. Or maybe you can modify a bit what you are doing because, you know, I have to do this presentation next week. Uh, and then in that moment, we have, a, let's say, a pilot project. So we do until a certain uh, period, uh, something that is more theoretical. So we find something uh, to test on. But then when we have something that is maybe going for real uh, to a presentation or to a competition or I don't know, then that is really the moment that we can prove uh, to them and also to us and say we can really test the product. Uh, and we are quite uh, happy because many, many times uh, then the product is uh, successful. And we are also satisfied. This is a bit the step-by-step -step workflow. And 
I wonder now, since you also do images for competitions, also work in the production part, not just the research and development part, how do you manage your time when it comes to the research and development? Do you schedule some blocks of times just for doing that? You just do it between projects? How does it work at your office? We try to schedule so that we try to leave uh, one person dedicated to research, but of course it's not always possible. So yeah, when there is something like a super urgent in which we need uh, the full uh, power on a competition, we just do competition. But in general, we always manage. So with long-term projects, we always uh, fit in some research. Sometimes competitions are also a chance to bring the research on because as also Beatrice was mentioning, before we start a bit internally, the discussion and the development, then the second step is a, a bit a, as a freebie, a plus. So we are asked for doing three images and maybe we throw on the table also a 360 image or we do an AR experience. And uh, yeah, maybe if uh, particularly appreciated or particularly working, uh, then uh, the next time is going to be a request for the competition as well. Doesn't mean the competition uh, is completely loose from uh, um, possibility to do research. What I would like to add is also the fact that it's super important also the, the interlocutor that you are talking to can be a person or a team of person because also this person has to really understand the potential as Beatrice was saying and also believe in it. And as well as a, another important factor is also the diversity because uh, yeah, we are in an office, uh, but doesn't mean that it has to be the architect, the one to pick up the potential of the research. Mm -hmm. yeah. Sometimes can be, of course, the PR, for instance, you know, when you talk about the multimedia, a video can be even more catchy to them than an architect sometimes. Or even the person in charge of the accountancy could, for instance, see the potential of a particular technology that you can use as a product. That's interesting because the accountant probably is the person that is furthest from the architecture in, a, in an architecture office, if you come to think about it. So the eyes with which they see the product is the eye of the, of the person from the street. So it's the person that actually uses the technology we push out the accountant is the closest person to the end target of our images because most of the time when we do 3D images and 3D products, CGI, we do it not for the architects because architects usually use the language of architecture, but they're made for people that cannot read the language of architecture. So, you know, the accountant usually doesn't read that language. Maybe it's, it's useful to have the, the opinion on these kind of products, on the effectiveness of these kind of products from someone that doesn't speak that kind of language. Yeah, I completely agree. Also because in the end, I think talking 24-7 with only architects uh, will never bring out-of-the-box feedback, no? So you're always trying to convince yourself and your colleagues about something that maybe we already know. I think creativity can really be defined as something, so the ability to connect different things that they don't look like as connected. So it's to, to be connected. And for sure, when you have like a outsider feedback can really make the entire process smoother. Which kind of products did you actually use in a, for example, a competition or a tender? Can you give me some tangible example of your research? Basically in competition, we started with the videos. Well, the first videos we made, they were with the Unreal Engine, then we switched a bit to Enscape and then to Emotion that made everything a bit easier. But then, of course, the um, animation is a big plus to, um, to a submission because it's really, once again, the less technical, all the production of architectural company. In the end, it's something that puts together, you know, music and a bit of, uh, a bit of mood, even a simply a happy soundtrack and put you in a different mood. Something is not really so easy with paper and even images and uh, these kind of things. So we started with that. And then, yeah, so when uh, the jury has to judge, but you can also present uh, your, uh, you can show your uh, design in person, you can also add extra layers of interactivity. 
So it happened that they brought some headset or some glasses, even to show some 360 images, 360 videos, because virtual reality starts to be a bit too complicated to be effective in a short window of time. Because of course you have to face the, the time and the skills to be learned to use a VR set. But of course, a 360 video is really immediate. You can just put it, or you can even watch it via the phone. So it's also a technology that is not, uh, you know, intrusive because this is also another big topic, no? Pushing uh, an idea because when something's related to technology, there is also a lot of uh, prejudice. Hmm. So yeah, technology, as, as I was saying before, is really seeing something like uh, untrustworthy, uh, unsafe in a way, so they can steal your data. You have to put a set so it can, can be almost dangerous. You can feel nausea. So it's, uh, it's also another big step in pushing the technology. You need to show that it's also something helpful. It's also sustainable in a way because also you could potentially switch to a physical model, maybe done with foam to a virtual model. And also another big thing is that also uh, many of these technologies are seen some as a too playful because they come to a more, you know, video game-ish, video-ish kind of media. And it's really easy for an architect when it's involved in meeting with, you know, uh, investors. It's always super serious, the the discussion. Yeah, you're totally right. I'm realizing this with my blogging activity, you know. Just to give you an example on this, with my colleague that is helping me with the contents we create in Italian for the Control Set blog, we are trying to push our content towards a live audience. So I'm thinking about moving actually to Twitch part of the content. So to do live streamings of a live painting, image critique, portfolio critique, etc. And our fear is that Twitch is a too playful as a platform to move this kind of content. But you know, if there's nobody that tries to push this kind of content on a, on a new platform, nobody will for us. So it's good to try to use this media in a way that uh, it's also educational, also insightful and helpful for the audience. So maybe what we see today as too playful, tomorrow could be a new media for selling or presenting or teaching. So that's really important what you said. But you were mentioning also AR before, VR and AR. Uh, So you're really pushing on that aspect as well. We also talk about something that you did very interesting on the AR aspect of research and development. Uh, Beatrice also, we spoke about this in the past, about uh, this app you realized for a for this day of architecture in Rotterdam. Maybe you can explain a bit about that because that's that's a really interesting product of your department and it's also one of the reasons I wanted to interview you here to show that the people that AR is uh, can actually be a thing in uh, in architecture uh, architectural visualization. So yeah, as you were saying, we we developed this app uh, which is an AR app for Casanova. This is a building that barcode is uh, building right now in the center of Rotterdam and this app now basically is uh, free you can uh, you can even try it as uh, available both on Google Play Store and the App Store so yeah I also invite everyone who's listening to download it to, to see what's the name of the app anyway is uh, W65 mm-hmm. which is the name uh, is the number of the building yeah how did we came uh, to this app so we studied this research and I also want to say hi to Bogdan, that was our former colleague and he helped a lot. We started this research almost one year and a half ago, I think in summer, end of summer 2019, because we were seeing 
that uh, some AR apps were uh, available for architecture and most of them were are also uh, related to the construction aspect. You basically have uh, many software companies that are creating apps to facilitate the construction of complex projects that are basically helping the builders uh, with the step-by-step guide uh, during the construction process. They are really more technical. Mm-hmm. We saw this and we said, okay, what, what, we, what we could do with this, because we are a visualization department, we are not uh, going on site, we have not too much contact with, the, with this part of the process. So going into this direction of visualization, we started as always with the small experiments. Uh, we started with the market-based uh, augmented reality. So Basically, with your camera, with the, your device and your camera, once you frame something that the app recognizes, the app is going to overlay a model or information. And basically, you have this kind of augmented reality that gives you extra information on top of a model, on top of an image, on top of a plan. Uh, so really more a simple layer of information on top of something else. Just for audience to understand, when you released the app, when you presented at the Day of Architecture in Rotterdam, which stage was the project at? They were doing the uh, foundations. Okay, no, I mean, in terms of architectural design. Totally defined. Okay. So uh, we also use a model that is coming from Revit. And yeah, this is also something interesting. During this research, it was difficult to understand at which step yeah, yeah, AR technology could jump in, like which step of the process of the project. And this, again, is something that um, was a bit difficult for us to understand uh, how to fit uh, this kind of technology in the workflow. So also when we were doing uh, all these tests, uh, we were happy with the results because it was something really nice for us also to learn a bit of Unity, scripting, because this is also <laughs> a big part of the, of the thing. But then, yeah, we, we weren't really satisfied because we didn't know what to do with mm-hmm. these apps that we were creating. Like, okay, yeah, they are super fun, they are nice, but as Roger was saying, they, they were a bit seen as a kind of video game. Like, you could place, I don't know, your scaled model on the table, but then, yeah, what, what do you do with that some, somehow? No, what, what was a bit the question? And then we came up with this idea to say, okay, let's do a visualization, um, let's say for real, let's do a photo match in uh, augmented reality. And then we choose uh, Casanova that is also really close to our office. So we could go there and do a lot of tests. And we prepared this app with a one-to-one model. Mm -hmm. So that is really, let's say, filling uh, the footprint that uh, there is now in the construction site. And this was quite successful because it was really straightforward. It was really something that uh, was fitting the workflow because uh, it's also at the end of the process. It's something that is going to be built, uh, but it's not there yet. We saw it uh, as a really good result. We also saw, and especially for this kind of technology that is uh, not so used uh, maybe mm-hmm. as a VR. Now VR, I think, is quite popular maybe also in uh, architectural offices. At least our office is uh, really into VR. (laughs) (laughs) And we saw uh, with AR that um, the audience is really important. As we were saying before, also you were mentioning that also images need to be done uh, according to which audience. 
who is the client who is who will be the person that is going to watch the, yeah. the image uh, so yeah we we saw that when we presented it to the office to our colleagues that we did a excursion to the construction site they were of course amazed like okay this is really good but uh, you know they are all the people that are also used into technology used into vr and so the effect was a, a bit uh, less wow than what we saw during the day of architecture in which the audience was a completely different uh, kind so mm. no architects uh, but let's say normal people and even buyers that yeah. was the the funniest part i just want to make a you know what's the day of architecture since probably now people are wondering what's the day of architecture i can explain that because i was there so i know a bit about that uh it's a day in uh, rotterdam in which basically there's a big wide open air exhibition of uh, architecture coming to fruition to the public in Rotterdam in which architects explain where and how this architecture will be and will be built all the new architecture as well so it's a way to introduce the citizenship with all the things going on on architecture in uh, in Rotterdam it's a, it's a really interesting event i don't know how many days it is two or three something like that right now i think it's just a weekend you know yeah I think this year uh, was two days, maybe for uh, COVID. So anyway, this AR presentation of Casanova was part of this manifestation. Yeah. And you were mentioning something about the buyers of the apartments. So the people that saw the Casanova in uh, AR, were there potential buyers or people that already bought the apartments? Because I'm interested in understanding the impact of this app on potential buyers. I think there were both of these categories. Most of them were uh, already people that bought apartments in Casanova or in the mill that is the building uh, next to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, from, from Barcode. And it was fun because somehow there were these, um, you know, like uh, 50 years old or even older that maybe, yeah, they don't even know what AR is. Because I think nowadays uh, many people know a bit uh, Instagram or Snapchat or uh, Pokemon Go, for instance, of <laughs> yeah. what it is. But yeah, they were really like amazed that they could see the the building on their phone. And basically, this app has three different uh, say functions. We overlay three different uh, models. So one is a fully rendered, one is the structure, and one was uh, for fun for that day. So. I'm not going to say what it is, but if you download the app, you can <laughs> see it. <laughs> and basically also for the structure, they were really like amazed because we placed uh, also all the poles that are in the ground. So you could really see how many poles are needed to make it stand, which is also, I think, quite interesting for someone that, that is not an architect or an engineer. And then they, also the fun thing was that they were even asking for updates. So they were like... Uh, but are you going to release uh, any updates? Uh, uh, because, you know, maybe I want to see where is going to be the 17th floor uh, because I bought an apartment there. Can you can you do this? Uh, can you? So they were also like uh, <laughs> somehow really into that, like suggesting things. And I think that that was the most successful part of the app. It was a spot on. Like, it was perfect for that day. I think that they enjoyed really a lot. Nice. I want to make you a difficult question now. Hope you can answer me because <laughs> uh, it's a great educational tool. It's a great communication tool, educating also the buyers on how a building is going to look like, how is it built, etc. So this is coming already late in the sales process, which is when the building is already you know well underway. Many people have bought apartments, but if you were to apply AR to the sales process, 
to convince buyers to buy a part of that building, an apartment or, you know, rent it, which way would you go for that? I think that can be a really impressive tool, I would say. Now we are super used in images. Also, real estate are using 360 videos now also to show you the apartment. But when you talk about a full building, and Casanova is more than 100 meters, so it's a tall building. There's no way to explain it in a such a um, correct way. I forgot to say, of course, this app uh, was built uh, to work uh, perfectly on the spot. So if you download it now, you can see Casanova, but it's going to appear a bit far away from you because you should be on the construction site to really see it. So this kind of experience uh, would be great if a buyer could see it before buying the apartment. Uh, also, I think it can make the difference uh, in explaining uh, really the quality of something. Because you, you can say, okay, I don't know, this building uh, will have uh, a first floor, a ground floor that is five meters high. It's a super high quality entrance uh, lobby. But if you don't see it, uh, it remains like uh, just information. But if you see it with your eyes in the correct spot, I think it could really make a difference. Yeah, it's a, it's a great tool to contextualize also the building. Yeah, in this way, I think it's a really great tool. Because if you were to show the building in, uh, in several, you know, several points, you should do several images, as many as the points that you want to show. While with the AR app, provided that you're at the right point in the process, you can just yeah. go around with the app and see the building from different angles, from different views from different, for example, streets. Uh, and that's super interesting because you really get the full picture of how the building works with the, with the surrounding context somehow. But I also think that for the um, architecture offices is a great thing. I mean, you put a lot of effort to do details in a way that they look nice or you make uh, a lot of design decisions that, I mean, you know that you make it, but then it's always a bit difficult to explain them through images. And in this way, it can be really a tool uh, also from the other side, not only for the buyers that they know what they are buying, but also from the architects that they can explain better what they are selling. Have you tried this technology with the architects? Yes, we tried. We tried with our colleagues. I think that they were all uh, super happy to see it, also because it's uh, quite uh, close to the office. So it was really like a nice lunch break. But somehow the thing that we are all uh, more used into technology you know, was a bit less uh, wow effect. But still, uh, they saw the potential. How do they use it to, you know, review the building? Is, is there a possibility to review the building with AR inside the office? Yeah, potentially it could be. You can review it. Uh, depends on which, uh, which kind of app you prepare. But for instance, you can prepare an app uh, that only shows you one part of the building or a mock-up, for instance. Just a piece of facade, I don't know. And you can... Uh, you can just place it where, wherever you want. But in this way, I think that uh, virtual reality is more uh, effective. Yeah, more as a communication tool, yeah. Yeah, it becomes more, more similar to what you could do in virtual reality, which is um, also more efficient for doing this, uh, this kind of thing. So the users of this app were quite satisfied, were quite happy, to the extent that they asked for updates on this app. Uh, but do you foresee using this technology for other buildings that you're working on? Or are you developing any other app of this kind on projects? Now we are indeed studying something that can be applied in a bigger scale, probably. And maybe also during the process. So while this was, so Casanova came when the design was completely defined, 
the idea that now we have a bigger scale pilot in which can really be helpful to even check uh, volumes, uh, relationship between volumes, uh, always in leaving you the familiarity of the of the place, because also is, is one of the main uh, features of the ER that uh, gives you the familiarity, can, can be familiarity of an object, uh, of a place, uh, of a concept. Uh, everyone can identify with it. And then that makes you uh, have the self-induced wonder moment, no? That you really have an extra layer of understanding. And we believe also that uh, the future uh, development or research that we are going to do um, regarding this kind of uh, technology are going to also include uh, other features like uh, trying to implement uh, informations, starting from geolocalization, big data, now, big data sounds a bit too ambitious, but we would like to add uh, some information that can go beyond architecture. This can be a really the next step of this kind of uh, applications. What kind of information? Because I'm not so into big data. Can you just give me some tangible example of this kind of information? For instance, working on educational projects, the app could uh, uh, implement uh, a system in which you can also get, for instance, direction inside the plot. Because of course, when you we are talking about a skyscraper that you see from outside, uh, it's almost like an object. You can just go a bit around. But when you have to explore the plot, explore the site, then you can really uh, add a lot of uh, extra uh, layers. So you can think about uh, directions. You can add diagrams. So you can uh, even think about uh, okay, what you're gonna see, and you can uh, foresee where the, for instance, the students are moving in, in this campus. Where are the lectures? Uh, so you can imagine it as uh, almost uh, a diagram that you see uh, with your eyes. Mm -hmm. So one-to-one -one scale. Whatever you can put in a diagram in a video, you can also apply to a AR experience. All right. Okay. Now I understood. Just to move towards the end of this conversation, that's something else I want to ask you that it goes a bit outside the AR and VR discourse. You work in an architectural company and you did a lot of research development also in the sense that you let understand architects that some things could be useful for your and their workflow, even library organization, uh, some things that are taken for granted by other people but should not. Uh, what would you suggest to other people working in-house that are facing a similar process and they want to improve the workflow of their team? What would you suggest to focus their effort on in terms of research and development? Well, what we really advise is more the mindset. So for instance, whenever you do something new, the best thing to do is process capture. We are quite against a magic process, no? That maybe you do an amazing video once, but if you do have to make an option of this video or change because the geometry is changed a few days before the deadline and you cannot, uh, that is really messed up. So the first step is really being able to nail down the process. Okay. Whatever you are doing, uh, just be aware that you're going to reproduce it uh, and then that you also spot what are the possible mistakes. Uh, so, for instance, if you're working uh, with different softwares, you need interoperability between these softwares. So it's super useless if you start to, every time export something from a software, then it's upside down in the other one, then it's not in place. This is really the base. So you can think about it, uh, I don't know, Rhino or 3 Studio Max to Photoshop but could be Rhino to Revit, Revit to Rhino, whatever. Interoperability is a pillar of the entire research and development. Of course, libraries, 
uh, yeah, pipelines, pipelines really nail down what you have to do before, in which moment you have to do and what you have to do. Also, it's super important to keep being up to date. So don't be lazy and go for the softwares that does thing better. At some point, uh, keep doing something with the software becomes really stupid in a way, no? So when, when you have the possibility to go for automatized processes, just go for them. Nowadays, uh, everyone is talking a bit about uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, there is a lot of uh, prejudice towards it. But uh, I do believe that when a part of the process can be done uh, automatically, just go for it. The human role in that is being able to think out of the box. So the human must be aware of when you want to go for that process or when you really want to start the process all over again. The future is towards that kind of workflow. So yeah, don't be lazy in software explorations. That also relates to coding. It's also another big topic of architecture. Now looks super scary. It's a new language, no? But for sure, in the, in the near future, coding is going to be more and more involved in architecture. Then, of course, that can be filtered by, you know, visual coding, like visual nodes. But it's another thing that in every field, not, not only visualization, but in every field, coding is going to be super important. To sum up is really to stay up to date on what the, the world is proposing. But, and you can also discover it by just daily checking uh, uh, ArcDaily, for instance. Just to make up numbers, 20% of the um, news that you read are about technologies, even more. That can be artificial intelligence, uh, can be 3D printed, AR. So it's quite clear that an architectural company cannot be based on uh, principles based on 20 years ago. Especially, I like the point that you made on uh, on AI, because many people, you know, you know, Aris, people freak out. Oh, AI is going to take our job. What I think is exactly what you think, that AI is going to automatize the boring tasks for artists. And that's something I look forward to. I was researching recently into trying to make AI-powered cutouts with face warp to solve like anonymization problems. Not successful yet on that, but I, I'll try to look further into that and maybe let you know if something comes up. Yeah, super interesting. Yeah, yeah. Because for instance, we had recently to work on a project in Asia, it was just a competition so far. But yeah, indeed, we don't have a lot of assets in terms of people from Asia in the software that we are currently using. So we really had to do a bit of face swap, even in post-production, because yeah, indeed, you don't have also time to look for all the assets uh, fit in the specific area of the world. So yeah, that could be a super interesting idea. My dream would be having an on-demand software, on-demand service that like, dishes you out cutouts that you can choose ethnicity, uh, age and uh, activity. It's a long goal, but it, that would be super interesting, especially for my kind of workflow, you know, that I use a lot of 2D assets. But that's a story for another time. Maybe we should talk about this in the future, but in the meantime, I'll just thank you for your time and I hope the people are going to be interested, especially people that work in uh, as in-house uh, visualizers, because there is not so much uh, interest about these people, but I think we should talk more about how people work in architecture office to improve both quality of life and their workflow because many people really need to you know hear from other people doing this so guys thank you again for your time and uh, see you hopefully in the next episode maybe with some updates on your future research thank you for the for the chance that you gave us uh, it was really fun and great yeah super interesting pleasure was all mine guys thank you thank you so much for tuning in if you enjoyed, please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcasting app and get a new episode every second week. 
If you like this episode, help us growing and improving the show by rating and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Got a question or is there something you'd like me to cover in a future episode? Write me an email at podcast at bigpicturevisual.com. Thank you again for listening and see you next time.